0: Namaste and in la and Welcome to this episode of One World in a New World. I'm your host, Zen Benefiel, and this week's episode, we have a wonderful guest in Chris Donaldson. Chris has been around the world and a little differently than most of us, and we'll be talking about that and how he experienced his journey and the things that he learned. He's also Got a memoir that he's working on titled, Going the Wrong Way. So this ought to be a really interesting conversation. He took a motorbike, clear, you know, across many different countries and continents. And he has been a, a European sales executive for Area Designs, which is a furniture manufacturer of handcrafted furniture and with meticulous details that they hope inspires their surroundings with their fashion so chris welcome and glad to have you here this is going to be a great conversation great to be here Zen. thanks very
1: much thanks for the intro thanks well, for the I,
0: <laughs> it's um I, you know there's there's much more to you than what i was able to express i'm sure and what i'm curious of is you know in these travels we'll, we'll get to the travels but early on you know i i in talking with my guests, there's this understanding or exploration, maybe even connection with a a larger scope of an inner experience, if you will, that many have, but we don't really talk about a whole lot. So were there some things that happened with you when you were younger that gave you the impetus to eventually journey out? And what was that like? What was your childhood like in, in developing your intuition and your understanding of the world
1: well it was slightly unusual i guess i brought up born and bred in belfast northern ireland i was brought up here in the 60s and 70s I was a teenager in the 70s which belfast was pretty uh, famous in those days or infamous should i say for the troubles there was we went to school in the center out right in the center of town and we could look out the window and see bombs going off and there there's people getting shot most nights and Quite a tough place to grow up in, tough place to tough grow era. up. in. I, I didn't uh, suffer too much personally, but my parents' business got blown up several times, and certainly we felt the tension in school and with your friends and family. How uh, do you
0: deal with that? In, in that, I mean, as a kid, what do you go through in, in seeing all of this happening around you, and, and how do you how did you deal with that? How did your parents help you through it, or how did they deal with it? I don't know how they
1: dealt with it because they just got, got on with it. And as children, you because you don't know anything else, you obviously, you're born and you're raised in that background. That was the norm. It was only whenever you met people from England or Scotland or wherever. There wasn't very many tourists came through Northern Ireland in those days. It was only when you thought outside the box when you sixteen, 16, 17. The rest of the world doesn't seem to be like this. This isn't actually normal, even though we thought it was normal up until then. So I think when I was about 16, 17, I decided i want to get out of Northern Ireland and see the rest of the world. And for some strange reason, I decided I should do it on a motorbike because I had a motorbike and I wanted to go to Australia. So that was my plan for my escape, great escape, if you like, was to, as soon as mm-hmm. I finished my studies, to to ride to Australia on a motorbike. And it was only afterwards and I wrote the book about it, um, which is published a couple of years ago, working on the memoir at the minute. But going the wrong way um before i'd even written the name of it down i realized that um it was only then i realized 40 years later when i was writing the story about what well, the, the journeys had been on i realized that part of the reason i wanted to go off on the motorbike was to be on my own to get away from the not just to get away from belfast but to get away from everything the surroundings um mm-hmm. when you're, Kid your, kid your your parents your focal point your mentors your then your teachers and then your, your friends and your family and your associates and your you're always uh acting or playing a part that people expect you to sure so want to, it's only after yeah, you're, you're trying guys. to fit in
0: right and, and yeah. as that you know you mentioned that this is kind of in that environment growing up your experience that's normal to you and even though you see other things happening around the world and i think that whether it's it's the trauma uh, or the kinds of events that were going on in belfast that are similar to maybe other kinds of environments where kids grow up in dysfunctional ways or traumatic environments that they feel is normal and then that kind of follows them through their lives until they figure so, out oh well maybe that wasn't normal really so no,
1: no.
0: <laughs> so, right uh,
1: so uh, certainly, uh, certainly was uh, you know, i didn't realize at the time that i was wanting to get away and uh, be on my own for that reason and not just for that reason i wanted to challenge myself i think and, uh, in a sense of adventure but you know, when reading my notes 40 years later when i wrote the book uh i realized very much that that's what it was reading between the lines that I was what I was wanting to do is to discover myself rather than what I was putting and performing in front of everybody else to, to get to know myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're in a motorbike, you're, you're in a car, you're always talking to somebody else. So you're probably with somebody else. But on a motorbike,
0: generally, you're on your own. Um, what did you notice that being on your own? And that's a real, really great point, being on your own You don't have anybody else to reflect to you except the environment that you show up in, right? The people, places, and things around you in each of those places that you visited, stopped, or spent some time in. How did you recognize how you were showing up or a little more self-awareness, if you will, in those moments? Did it happen as you were experiencing these travels or, or... Did it happen much later or or was there a combination of both?
1: Well, I think you realize pretty quickly that you're not a a bystander in a situation anymore. If you're with your family, this could be somebody else talking with four kids in our family. So there's usually six of us about the place and you could sit all day and say nothing or you could get involved or talk or not, whatever. But when you're on your own, it's only you to make things happen. There's nobody else there. You know, if you're going to drive down the street or turn right or turn left, it's up to you to decide. And if you want to stop and talk to somebody or you want to get into, get a, if you get into a difficult situation, you've got to get yourself out of it. So mm-hmm. you really get to realize pretty quickly that there's you, there's you involved in this scenario and there's nobody else going to get you out of it, you know? So you got to be, get your self-resilience into gear pretty quick.
0: Were there moments that you were really challenged in order to... You know, to be present and, and um, observant of what was going on around you, you know, were there times where you felt uncomfortable or even threatened? Um, were there any kinds of those situations, or did your personality kind of shine well enough that you never ran into that?
1: Well, I got into a few bits spots of baller. I mean, one of the problems I left in the vote, October 79, I got as far as London. Uh, I met up with some friends there, I was getting my visas organized and so on to go across Asia. Whenever the Ayatollah uh, of mainly took over the American Embassy in Tehran and basically the, the revolution in Iran closed the road mm-hmm. east. So I was basically left with no option to go south, so I ended up going to South Africa without any prior information about um, the, the countries or anywhere it was going. So... Went from having a very fairly planned route to being completely chaotic with, with very little idea what was ahead of me. Um so it was it was a disaster. Oh my god, what did I get myself into? Exactly. Right. So I ended up about through Israel, Syria and Jordan, through the Middle East, which was pretty hectic. I got to Egypt and drove across the Sahara Desert down to South Africa, through Uganda just after Idi Amin, through Rhodesia just uh Zimbabwe, Rhodesia just after their civil war was over so there's some pretty dodgy spots i was going through and cape town south africa was in apartheid so africa was a pretty difficult place to travel at that stage um and the lack of for for planning made everything was everything was complete shock to me because it's not like today if you want to know what's the next country what's going on in the next town, you just google it you've got all the news and your information that at your Mm -hmm. your fingertips
0: well it seemed like even in those areas that countries were trying to identify themselves or individuals within those countries like some that you mentioned and and that could lead to some really dodgy situations especially traveling through there in the midst of all these tumultuous times that people were experiencing did it seem like you were still able to just kind of be not oblivious to but navigate through it without much difficulty
1: well i think the being brought up in northern ireland probably helped me because northern ireland will have this protestant catholic thing and there's one side there the other side and you had to decide sometimes who you were talking to which side was he on um which was quite difficult, it was just a religion because everybody looks the same, at least in Africa there were blacks and whites and you could tell the difference between the people by looking at them so you knew which sites they were on very often or not I mean, most of the time 99% of the time I was met with nothing but kindness and friendliness especially by the local population but you would certainly occasionally bump up to a few uh, not so nice guys, especially around the border areas and Um, like say uganda as they say uh tanzania was a bit dodgy zambia zambia as well all these countries are going through post-colonial changes Mm -hmm. and as you say there's individuals fighting for power and tribes trying to get on top so it was a a difficult period for those countries as well um so
0: today it seems like colonialism is still rampant and, and that there's this uh attempt to manage and, and control environments through um not necessarily annexation but definitely corporate control if nothing else yeah
1: i mean the people kids these days look down their nose and colonialism as a as a dirty word whereas in fact when you look at what's going on in Africa now it's twice as bad as a, a colonialism was the colonialism was pretty much up front who was in charge and who wasn't Mm-hmm. Obviously, the you know there the was a british the kings out it and certainly in Africa countries it was in. Um, but it was quite upfront up front as who they were in charge and, and the africans were, were were the lower class, if you like, whereas now China basically taking over Africa financially um and other countries have still got the, their their fingers in deep in the pie. As they and are with all America
0: much. too. There's a lot of financial investment from yeah. China here.
1: Yeah. So it's all very much uh, underground much more uh much more devious, let's say what's, what's right. going it's on it's kind of it's subtle. You know, the yeah. effects
0: there there's this management beyond our recognition, and yet because we do, we usually don't care enough to look and maybe not even care that's not not a good word to use our lives aren't affected enough in adverse ways to where we really start questioning what's going on around us would Mm -hmm. you say that's fair
1: well not only that but if you do question it you start realizing you're living quite a hypocritical life in a way because for instance if you're buying your clothes from uh, cheap shops are probably made in Bangladesh for people are getting paid a pittance for making the clothes that you live in luxury to have. You can have a just contribute to your, your life of luxury compared to their lives. So it's a very, again, of a financial dis- disparity between what we have and what other people have. Mm-hmm. But it's all Facebook fresh. It's all, looks nice and, uh, you know, if you want to dive deep and see how, What what the finances work of these places, you are contributing very often to effective slave labor going on in these countries. Um, What you do about it is another thing. Do you you stop buying from these people or do you you take some sort of affirmative action? I don't know. It depends on everybody what they think. But there's a lot of hypocrisy. People are saying they're doing one, they believe one thing, but they don't mind buying. Those or cars or petrol or whatever it is from countries that are less uh, caring than we would expect them to be, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, products, you know, products and services. It seems that we look for the cheapest, not necessarily the best, and what's available. And and oftentimes we don't really care what the source is as long as we can get it. We don't think that far, or at least we haven't. I think and perhaps maybe, do you see that there is a shift in the considerations more today than in the, our recent past, or, or do you see it more as lip service rather than activity? You know, it's one thing to say, and, and um, we recognize all these things and we'll acknowledge them intellectually, but when it comes to the interaction and behavior, do you see that actually changing at least some or at all?
1: I think people change it when it suits them. I think they pay lip service to a lot of these um, ideals about, um like the likes of countries like China, you know, we don't mind complaining about their civil, civil rights and all the rest of it, but we're still going to buy their cheap goods. We're not mm-hmm. going to stop dealing with them. Whereas other countries, oh, Think on top of my head, for instance, Israel or something. some some country that isn't so uh, so important to us financially. We don't mind putting sanctions on Iran, for instance, because it doesn't really matter about Iran. But what they do is no worse than other countries that we do, do deal with. But we we need their goods. We we can't do without them. So we we'll, we we'll, we'll live with them. But we'll the finger, we will uh, think Screws down on the other countries. I'm saying Iran because I actually got to Australia last year after 40 years after my last trying the first time. Well, Um, yeah, you started out. That was your
0: destination to begin with,
1: right? I think it was the longest trip out, longest journey I've ever been to Australia. I left in 79. I got there in 2004. Mm -hmm. So 2024. A little bit of a
2: gap.
1: Yeah. (laughs) But Iran, for instance, is one country that we love to hate where we've been effectively fighting with them for the last for the west has been in the bigs for the last 43 years exactly since 79 24 years but actually when you get there they're the most friendly people the nicest people i've met in my travels um just about anywhere
0: i've heard Uh, that and i haven't been there but i've dealt with aussies and and they're really pretty good people i i think everywhere there's good people right that and it seems so, like yeah, with this recent kerfuffle on a global scale and, and the sequestration and, and all the lockdowns and things like that, it really got people to question, you know, what do I really believe in? What do I want to support? How do I want to live? And, and who do I want to be is an example of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you find any <clears throat> in your travels where did you find the most um, resilient uh, welcoming kind of people was, was there a particular country that you were in that you found to be more so that way than others
1: uh yeah well certainly Iran was on this this trip it was probably one of the most friendly pakistan were very friendly as well generally people on the ground were friendly everywhere it's the, it's mm-hmm. the governments that are the the problem um in those places and those certain Gosh, how, does that, how does
0: that happen right so, it, and it seems that that's kind of a, a ubiquitous ubiquitous situation now is that we're asking you know hey what happened to being administered to which is really what the governments are about they're supposed to administer to the people take care of them right and how do we how do you see a change in that happening and and do you see it happening incrementally now or are there some indicators that maybe there's a larger activity um getting ready to or or it may feel like there's a lot of uh, a larger activity about to happen
1: i don't see that much change to be honest i think people are quite tribal in their thoughts i think um their their minds are made up by the time they're 15 generally you know they're mm-hmm. brought up by their parents that they're told to, to do what they're, they're taught their parents belief and the parents send them to a school that they believe in so they're, they're, that's going to follow on. It's, by the time the kids are 15 or 16 they've been indoctrinated by their elders if you like mm-hmm. to believe, to think, think what they're they told um, it takes a lot of it takes an unusual person to think outside the box that they've been brought up in i think
0: um now our generation because we're just a couple years difference i think i just turned 66 um and it seems like in that in your view i would have to say yeah that's pretty true because there are some very few unique individuals that question everything still Mm -hmm. And I find that the younger generations seem to be doing it more. We thought that we did growing up, right? In the Mm -hmm. 60s, early 70s, we thought we were questioning everything, but we couldn't really do anything about it. Now with the technology shifts and the workplace shifting, remote workers and things like that, and the younger generations actually having more technical know-how and ability, than we did and of course with the advent of technology now there's all kinds of new jobs and with ai there's even going to be more do you see that this younger or these younger generations are a little more apt to take more action or, or to engage life in 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 the world a little differently
1: That's looking for something then, better yeah I don't know. If it's some in some ways, yes. Some ways, no. I think um, the woke generation, if you like, are um, taking things to such an extent that it's, it's, it's got interest so interested in irre, irre, irrelevancies mm-hmm. as far as we would have thought in our generation. Um, the ban, the bomb, the, the Greenpeace, and some of the bigger. Um, things we would have argued about when we were growing up are sort of more irrelevant to kids these days. I think more kids these days are more interested in getting on themselves and forwarding themselves in their own careers and so on, more, more selfish in a way. Um, I don't know, though. First. It's such a generalized, it's hard to generalize to make. A, a, Proper answer to that question in a way because you're going to be talking about somebody you know or somebody you've heard of It's hard to generalize in a whole generation, probably.
0: Yeah, and that's you know it's like stereotyping, right? It's something we yeah. tend to do and I really I, even though that's we know that that's what we're doing, that there's still you know it's like in a way, we all the, our personalities. Right, We each have a personality. our and when we step back, our local region has a personality. Yeah. It, it's the tribe thing that you mentioned. And, and does our region get along with the region next to us or around the corner? or you know and as a country, then we also have a national personality. And then we have a global personality and and there's maturation processes to that, right? You know, by the time you get our age, it's like, well, maybe we might have a little bit of wisdom, but sometimes we're not sure, right? And yet we see these opportunities of mentoring, for lack of a better the younger generations and helping them to ask questions do you see that activity happening the intergenerational um integration or do you I still guess, see generations kind of
1: separate i guess uh, things are changing i mean taking ireland as a, an example the um the south of ireland used to be very much run by the church the catholic church whereas in the last 50 years it's The church has become so so uh, embroiled in controversy that the younger generation has turned against it in in Ireland um, to an extent. But in the north, we still have this religious um, nationalist republican uh, unionist divide. Which whereas younger people still will talk the talk, but when it comes to putting the voting votes on the ballot box. They still very often choose for the traditional their parents, uh, mm-hmm. what, what the parents have taught them. So, although we're not fighting anymore, we're not fighting with guns and bullets. We're arguing over where a border should be, whether those whether sausages come from South Ireland or the or Britain or whatever. There's still a there's still a, a distrust and a dislike of the other the other tribe as such, which uh, they haven't been able to get over that. And I think. Um, America's, America's probably been much better building a to us than I know, side is building a united country. Whereas in the UK, um, I think that probably we thrive on our uh, differences more, which is a good thing in some ways and a bad thing in other ways, you know.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: well, it's good to, it would seem anyway, to be critical enough to draw attention to all the things that are perceived to be issues so that you, you can get them out in the open and talk about them yeah a certain yeah. amount of transparency now speaking of transparency but are do you notice and, and is there um an increase or a notice or an inkling that you have toward the inner development of the younger generations because you know with, with the uh, religious dogma that's kind of prescriptive. There's really not a lot of really deep curiosity, inquiry uh, into you know how we fit into reality. The, there's these prescriptive notions and belief systems that we acquiesce to. Is that because it's convenient or we're lazy, or we don't know how to ask the questions? Or are we even curious? Do you notice this in in your travels? Uh, and did you ever have those kinds of conversations with people you'd meet?
1: Well, you're traveling. You're you're having to be very careful. You're sometimes, um, for instance, in Turkey, traveling in Turkey. People would sub- one part of the country would be before the president, and all the places would be against the president, and Iran. As well, people could ask you questions, you have to be very on the fence, if you like. Um, talking to people, you don't want to fall out with them and you don't want to take sides. You want to be, uh, float above the level of the ground and the way they're not involved as a from a physical protection point of view, as well, from uh, mainly I suppose, because you don't know who you're talking to, but also you're not living there; it's hard for you to give a, an opinion in a country. And someone like say Israel, you're taking sides between one or the other, you're not mm-hmm. going through what the people there are going through. So, you're you're giving your opinion based on what you've been told by your media and by your teachers sure. and your,
0: your sure. and the and opinions and and things. Uh, it's more of an intellectual approach, right? It, it's yeah. like you you take in the information, you deal with it, and and you figure out you know where where you settle with it there's another layer that i'd like to kind of bring up to the surface for a moment and and that's how we all find a way to just enjoy each other in the moment to get along and enjoy the moment without those distractions that belief systems and dogma and, and political um differences and those kinds of things often cause is there a way or or is there an experience that you've had that bridged that inner sense of yeah we're human beings we're all relatives and, and what can we do to demonstrate that with each other have you found those kinds of situations
1: well yeah i mean it's talk, you talk to people and you you have a preconceived idea of what, what, what a particular type of person is like. Or for instance, in the likes of Iran, uh, Afghanistan was next door. You meet kids, you chat with them from Afghanistan, and I'd, I'd ask them, well, what, what, what's happening? What do you think of the Taliban? And they'd say, well, the Taliban are great. Taliban, good. Taliban, brilliant. And I'm going, hang on, this is not what I've been told. I've been told these Taliban people are the worst people in the world. And you get into it deeper and you realise that the government, the government that was set up by the West, were actually the most corrupt people in the country. They were stealing all the money and doing nothing with it apart from stashing it away in their own bank accounts and very little of it got to the people. And you realise, well, what we think is an awful lot of what we think anyway, no matter how much you try and be um, impartial, is what your government what your media tell you to think Mm you are products of what we're what we're told and
0: no matter how you you, don't really know because you want to trust your media sources right because they're supposed to be telling you the truth it's on tv it must be true you know
2: right and then you find
0: out that it's not i was uh, listening to an interview with oliver stone and um, lex fridman and it was amazing. And Oliver Stone's a you know pretty respected journalist and, and historian, and he kind of digs deep and he just gets to the truth. It, we may not like it, mm-hmm. but he does his best to kind of reveal the big picture and all the moving parts in it. Mm-hmm. And the West is often oblivious of the other side of the story because yeah. we've been so marginalized and. know i i'm one of the fortunate few i guess i met and married a woman from st petersburg russia who left there in 1989 and had been you know brought up in the russian educational system which from her explanation of it is far superior than that which we have in america they focused on assessing the kids early finding out what their skills and talents were and then nurturing those clear through their scholastic program so that they could actually, you know, utilize their innate talents and skills yeah. and intelligence. Yeah. And we don't do that here. We put them in a box and we say, okay, you got to learn this and you got to spit it back out and yeah. we rank you according to your ability to do so. How is that beneficial? Um, <laughs> And it's funny how we we still believe that that's the right way to do it. There's less and less in that. You know, we're looking at, you know, there are some educational reforms that need to take place. However, with my my point being in that in our relationship, we've been able to talk about the two different cultures and compare and contrast and, and really dig deep and not have any inklings about one or the other being good or bad. We're just looking at this is, you know, the comparison, and mm-hmm. being able to do so has really opened up my eyes to what were perceived to be our enemy at one point. Yeah, there really aren't. That again, governments, you know, trying to position themselves and they're trying to dominate and control and ultimately control resources, not necessarily people, and controlling people in the process of getting those resources. Yet we still have this like you found it in the people on the ground, they're all the same everywhere. They just yeah. want to love and be loved. Right. Yeah. How, how can we, how do you see that shifting? Is there in your imaginings or, or your experience, are there subtle things or ways that you've seen that taking place?
1: Well, unfortunately I think with the, um, for a while it looked like social media and the internet was going to broaden people's horizons and give them more, anybody can open a YouTube channel and give people more more voice but unfortunately I think it's it's gone the other way in the last sort of 5 to 10 years that the mega companies have taken over what you should see and what you shouldn't see and it's uh, there's more um, propaganda coming out of the, because of two or three companies I own the facebook google you know big companies are are run by conglomerates which faceless conglomerates
0: which control what people hear and read um and don't ever question the reality that no like with covid we found how many doctors and nurses and Epidemi- epidemiologists and virologists that were trying to say, Hey, wait a minute, folks, yeah, uh, yeah. there's you know, if you if you go against the grain,
1: you're, censored or shut down? Yeah, if you go against the grain, you're conspiracy you're a conspiracy theorist, you're in that case, you're off the wall. Whereas you know, forty years ago everybody had a more of a say, you could stand up you couldn't reach have the same global reach, certainly, but you could you could stand on your soapbox and say it. Whereas now so you say the wrong thing and you're you're blocked, you're cancelled, you're hung up to dry. You know you don't have any say. It's it is quite scary the way the uh, the world is going now because people have got less and less. Uh, very very subtly, getting less and less um, free speech out there, mm-hmm. um, and it's been done in such a way that it's seemed to be forward thinking to have this control. You know. With, uh, People that shouldn't. If you, if you, as I say, if you go against COVID, you're a conspiracy theorist. You're against the the nation. You're going to kill somebody. You're going to give them COVID. You're going to spread disease. Whereas, as you say, it come come out now. There's so much people were trying to say, hang on, you're doing this all wrong. But they were shut down and shut and shut up. they lost their jobs. They were, as you say, hung out to dry. So it's there is that um, militant do as we say and do we tell you listen to what we tell you to listen to or else
0: you know which is a bit scary it is and, and and yet there's hope i've noticed in the last year kind of post-covid if you will that there are many leaders politicians uh concerned um you know medical authorities and things like that that are saying that hey look we were wrong and all of these things were happening, and we weren't able to look at it and expose what was happening. And that's something that we really need to take a look at and address for our collective future. Are, are any of those what, there there any,
1: again? Are any of those guys losing their jobs or getting told off for getting it all wrong? Or is the guys who got it right who tried to object to it
0: at the time? Doesn't appear to be. Today, now that was a vastly different story two, three years ago. Yeah. So that much, at least, has changed slightly, because those kinds of conversations are not being um, stifled or censored. Yeah. And point in case, I I was watching an interview with Tucker Carlson and Matthias Damont, who had written the book um, Psychology of Totalitarianism. And they were talking about the book and and, um, Matthias is a professor in uh, Belgium. And he had done all this research and just basically kind of said the same thing that Howard Bloom did in his book called The Lucifer Principle. And and that is a few people tell lies over and over again. They control the media stream and everybody else doesn't know any better. When in actuality, and this is what I found what Matthias said to be very... Enriching, insightful, and inspiring. And that was, he said, you know, what I found is that people really are just seeking empathic resonance. Now, that begs the question okay, what does that mean? Right. (laughs) And beyond it all, there's a certain sense of togetherness that we feel with each other. And it stems from that core desire impetus to simply love and be loved right because that's that state of, of getting along this is what we ha- want with our children with our family with our communities we just don't discuss it to the depth and really expose what we can do behavior wise to actually demonstrate that in our communities and in our cities states and nations well,
1: that sort s- of brings on the uh... We want to be loved and beloved we don't want to so we don't want to stand out from the crowd we don't want to say something that's going to be too controversial or be blamed for being a conspiracy conspiracy you don't want to that right I mean, that's it's very much what people want and that's why people go along with the herd if you like in a, in a more negative connotation on sure the love and beloved um,
0: right we acquiesce to the powers that be and and just to go along not make waves. Oh, okay yeah we yeah come to a place um like you've mentioned where it's like mm, wait a minute this doesn't quite feel right right what do we do about it do you see things and in your travels i, I know I, i'm kind of harping on this and questioning what did you see in your travels and others were they complacent or were there some hopeful activities or aspirations that they had in moving forward in a, a better way for themselves and their communities
1: i think every people everybody wants to love and be loved as you say and people do fit in want to fit in with their communities um but they also believe very often what they're told i mean it's very difficult not to believe what you're told by your you gotta trust somebody or you end up being completely
0: mm-hmm. and we're steeped by Right. In, so in
1: the run away from everything you know you can you got to go along with it. you got to believe something you know and you got to believe you're taught to believe your elders you're taught to believe your countrymen your, your politicians it's always such a shock when you realize your politicians are corrupt and you've been voting for them all that time you know
0: what like, about ancient, the ancient you know the 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 ancient um call for self-actualization and self-realization Right, this has been around for thousands of years. Yet we still have not been inquiring to that extent about it. Do you see that as part of this uh, process of getting more comfortable with recognizing that? Yeah, all we want to do is love and be loved. Well, how do we do that? How do we demonstrate it? How do we show each other? How do we act in the community? You know, how do we speak to each other? How do we embrace each other's diversity without carrying the bias that we've been programmed with?
1: Yeah, I think we've been programmed with it, but I think it's probably a natural human gene as well to human re- reaction to go with our tribe rather than somebody else's tribe. Well, it's for security or to be loved or be to be safe just to give support of your own mm-hmm. um, so it's a it's a natural enough. You know, a lot of the things we complain about people about being being bigoted or being racist or whatever, a lot of them are based probably on a on a hu- human nature. It's in there somewhere. I mean, humans are racist all over the world; they're not just in one country. So it's it's got to be that it's it's in the, in, the, in every nation, it's in every country. You know, so it's got to be there's a natural react natural natural human reaction. Um. Which is all, as they say, in a way, there's lots of human nature things that people do. We don't want them, they're, they're unpleasant, and we're trying not to do it, but it is, it's, it's, it's in us somewhere, you know?
0: It's tough to hit the pause button when you get triggered, yeah. right? That we don't know how to stop and just be silent for a moment, take a breath, and then respond. You know, th- this, this push and pull of energy to get attention in, in all kinds of different ways. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things that seems to bridge that trust barrier, right, is commerce. You know, you've been involved as an international sales manager, right, for, um, for Aria Designs. And so this would, I would think, give you an opportunity of dealing with different people at a, at a different basis and if you're going to do business you got to trust each other otherwise you know you're not going to do business yeah, I'm, and certainly
1: travel the broadens the mind and doing business with people across the divide across countries or elsewhere it does you realize that people are just wanting to do the same thing as you do which is make a living bring up their family and have a good good life and you mentioned russia i mean i've, I've been to russia a few times i've done some business there and you realize But they're just the same as us, really. Um, They've got slightly different characteristics. They're all very stern. They don't say, have a nice day every morning in the Mm -hmm. the coffee shop, you know. (laughs) Um, But I always enjoyed traveling in Russia because I thought we were
0: were much more straightforward than we are in OS in some ways. There's no BS, and they will confront you with questions. and, And do you find that there's this sense of confrontation That happens when you simply ask questions in some cases not really i mean not necessarily the questions that pointed right but there's this um especially in in deeper questions do you you don't feel that that's
1: no i've never had a problem anytime i've been traveling i've always asked questions and kept people's opinions of always have always been careful just to what, not to give my own opinion too much to uh, to go along with what because you don't want to start an argument
0: you're trying to sure but do you frame to... those things that it, when you're speaking with people in different countries do you frame your questions differently do you consider the culture the the time the nuances of the particular place you're in and the people in how you ask the questions? I think you have to. You have to go with a completely
1: open mind. You have to leave back your bag, leave behind your baggage of what you've been taught, what you've been told is right and wrong. So if you're talking to somebody in, in Russia who's he's telling you that he thinks Alaska should be part of Russia, for instance, mm. uh, you just go along with it. So tell me more about that. Why would you think that? And, and you get the story behind it. Or if you're talking to somebody in Pakistan, he's got three wives and. Sixteen children, and you, you don't tell him, "Well, that's terrible. You shouldn't be
0: doing that." You you go along with his. Uh... Well, that's moral codes, right? And and that's a something that we have a tendency to actually put into our laws. Mm-hmm. And so we did, you know. People ought to be free enough to live how they want to, as long as they're not aggressing towards others. What's the harm, right? If uh-huh
1: happy i think what the west has done wrong in all of these countries is have tried to to go and stamp our uh solutions and our ideology on these countries like the west going into afghanistan we tried to make it a democracy make it into the uh, uh, parliamentary systems uh, mirroring the american or european or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the guys over over there just never wanted it. you know you're trying to give them something they don't want. they're not gonna put up with it, they're not gonna live with it, and it's not gonna work.
0: you know American was, companies had that experience in going abroad in the eighties and trying yeah. to build you know they they didn't study the cultures they were going into, and they felt like they could supplant American culture in those yeah. local areas and everybody be okay with it. Well, they weren't eighty percent or better of the companies that tried to do that failed yeah, and you couldn't figure yeah. out why yeah no it's
1: very, the, the fact it's worked in, in america doesn't mean it'll work everywhere you know because these countries it's just not going to work there they're not going to go along with it they'll they'll take the money they'll take take it so far but they'll whenever the americans turn their backs they'll just do go back to doing it their own way anyway you know and there's a bit of a well, I suppose is a bit of arrogance to say that our way is better than your way because their ways work perfectly well for generations and generations in their country anyway.
0: Well, now it's the global village and, and we're really are global, right? The commerce, level of commerce and, and distribution networks and shipping lines and lanes and all that kind of stuff and, and things, products and services, you know, distribute around the world. We are so connected, especially with the Internet. Now we have almost instant information and and there is a growing movement towards making that kind of digital world uh, available to more and more people Mm -hmm. do you see that there i mean what kind of questions would we need in order to move through the differences the diversity the the separative notions that we have towards each other. Do you see any questions emerging that can help bridge those gaps and and get people to realize that yeah, we're just trying to get along and make a living and take care of our families?
1: I think um unfortunately a lot of way whenever we fall out with somebody we sort of veto them or cut them off or don't speak to them anymore you know, we would like Russia at the minute uh, whenever the war started in Ukraine all the Western countries had to stop dealing with mm-hmm. Russia which to me is in a way it's, it's the wrong way to do it you know because you're cutting them off you should be dealing with them more you should be talking to people and working with them and talking to them rather than cutting Makes them off sense, doesn't it whereas the first thing that happened with McDonald's and all the international companies pulled out well why would you do that because a, you're losing all your money because you've invested all the last 20 years in this place and you're just walking away from it. You're giving them, giving up on that. But you're also cutting, cutting ties with the normal people, with the people in the street. Whereas they're the people you should be talking to and saying, hey, deal with us, we're not that bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's your government's wrong. It's not you. It's not the people that's wrong. It's the government. It should be taking the brunt, not the people in the street. So I can never quite understand the, and in Iran as well, talking about Iran, I uh, was asking the guys well, all about sanctions, is that, does that affect people much? And he said, well, not at all, because sanctions have been going on for 45 years now, and the average age in the country is about 36, and so most people don't know anything else, so how can I affect them they don't know it was we can't say it was don't know it was better don't before, any different, right. they don't know any different you know so you'd be better forgetting about sanctions let's start working with you let's give you hospitals let's give you help you help the people on the ground and you, you you'll generate a revelation more by helping the people than cutting them off you know mm. or so the way the, the political system is good everything totally back to front if they're actually wanting to make to prevent change they're doing it exactly the wrong way you know you know it's funny maybe did you notice when
0: you were growing up that and, and here in america that there's a thing and maybe other places too that some of the people when you're kids right some of those kids that that you interact with that you have the most difficult time and maybe even arguments or fights with that you eventually become great friends by working through all of that, now, so can we take that, you know, adolescent example and apply yeah. it to the adults that are behaving the opposite today?
1: Yeah, that's a good way. Of... I think you, if you go did you experience some... that as well. Well, certainly if you go through, I, I um, find that i traveling with I was traveling on my own, but very often I would meet up with somebody traveling along the same way for. A week or a month or a couple of months, and if you go through a certain situation, a challenging situation, be it a travel, on a train, or a, through a border, or a particular hardship, um, it does give you a bond together that you went through that sort of that situation. Out whether it's a an argument between yourselves or a an external situation, you know, going through the difficulty together gives you a bond and. Was people i met 40 years ago, traveled with through Israel, the guys we traveled with through Israel and Syria. Um, we tried to get out of Israel through into Egypt and Jordan. We couldn't get out. So I ended up going back. Now I met the guy, I hadn't seen the guy for 42 years and I tracked him down through Facebook, called at his door and ended up having a beer and it was as if the 42 years of separation hadn't existed. Right. We were gray and we were bald and we were fat. But we're still the same, you know, as far as we our brains were concerned, we were still twenty one year years old having a bit of crack and talking about what we'd done that period what had happened and how that had affected us all those years ago. So you do get a bond by going through a difficult situation or going through, as you say, an argument uh between two people can have the same effect. Um, two biggest old time politicians was Ian Paisley and uh Martin McGuinness was ex IRA, or he denied it anyway. In Paisley was a hardline unionist, and they hated each other for, for years and years. And then they both got into politics, into the Parliament. One was the first minister, one was the second minister, and it's nearly embarrassing how friendly, how friend friendly they were to each other at the end because they. Uh, it's interesting used to how they together. Yeah. They, were, they only they were, they were both. They both had so much in common because they both believed in their in their uh, case so much. They were both fervent believing in their country, but the, eventually, what broke down was the differences they realized were were nonsense anyway. Because they they were both actually wanting to to, to help their people, I suppose, and they turned out to be great friends. They used to call them the Chuckle Brothers because they used to laugh and giggle so much in Parliament.
0: Why do you think that is? Do you think that that was because they came from such divergent backgrounds and found a friendship as a result?
1: I guess so. They both believed that well, they were both much more in common than they, they didn't have. so we like as I say, people who come from opposite sides, realizing that they're both just fair both believe in both strong believers that just believe in different things, which are as it happens probably pretty irrelevant anyway because religion what's the difference anyway you know
0: Mm -hmm. do you Um, see that that's happening more often where that diversity is not paid attention to that there's more of a cohesiveness in the same or similar activity toward making life better for those that they serve
1: um, I think in Northern Ireland it's happening very slowly. Certainly, probably is happening eventually, and eventually it will be sorted out. But it's happening very slowly. And well, yeah, that, it's, Ireland it's, was,
0: you know, divided in our lifetimes.
1: Yeah. Um. Unfortunately, as you've seen in with the likes of Russia, it can be very quickly knocked off track. You know, since, suppose Russia, the wall came down in '89, I think it was, and up until the last 90. year. Maybe up until last year, things have been getting easier and easier and borders have been easier to cross. But uh, it just takes one sort of one guy to get carried away in his beliefs and everything's back to where it was again before 50 years ago, you know?
2: hmm
0: So it's... So are we going the wrong way? Or do, <laughs> do we? Um, yeah. are we going to be able to turn it around, do you think? Um, uh,
1: I'm I'm not uh, I'm embarrassing my negativity. Sometimes <laughs> I'm not terribly optimistic of that, of that really. To be honest, um, uh, tend to sort of look back and think, well, what, is, what has changed really? Is you're back to where you were 50 years ago, just because of one guy wanting to take over part of a country, which really you know, shouldn't be doing and.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Then you look back at
0: the did you change though i mean it, it comes down to who we are right and the changes we make because you can't expect others to make changes if we don't right That mm-hmm. that's kind of putting the cart before the horse do you have you seen yourself change Have your has your inner awareness of your connectedness to not just the world but a greater um cohesive force between us all for lack of a better has that evolved well probably
1: has i mean i've called about going the wrong way and it was obviously from geography point of view left to go to australia ended up in argentina so you can't get much more the wrong way than that
0: right Um, but it's a great metaphor too (laughs) and it led to a great question
1: yeah it has uh, made me realize that going the wrong way in life i've been brought up as a, quite a conservative background and following the rules and following doing what your teachers and your government and everybody told you to do, to do and i realized as i traveled and as i grew that actually i got more out of going a different direction than the rest of mm-hmm. the road less traveled if you like a bit of the more commonly mm-hmm. used uh, criteria uh, it would be more challenging, but actually more satisfaction. You get a lot more satisfaction from doing it yourself and challenging yourself and, and finding things out yourself rather than being following, following the rules and being told, doing what you were told. Um, it does get you into a lot more trouble as well, I have to say. So but, do you think uh, there's a sense of
0: anarchy in that? <laughs> <right>? <laughs> there is
1: a bit.
0: A, um, is anarchy, anarchy a bad out? thing, though? Because anarchy the the root of it is self-rule right if you can't yeah. handle yourself how can you handle anybody else so from that perspective is anarchy really a bad thing
1: well it's a bad thing for government because people aren't doing what they're told they're doing what this government don't actually want you to think about just your, things yourself they want you want people to do what they're told no question
0: is it possible so, that that anarchistic mindset though could lead to fulfilling particular roles that actually do serve the whole better because they are activated from a person's own being and they're feeling like okay this is my mission to perform in life and and I'm going to do it the best that I can and it seems like those kinds of thoughts and feelings and aspirations would lead one to a better way of living for themselves and others. do you would you find that to be true or well I would agree with that myself. Uh
1: certainly I think about it there's no harm to think about it just because you've been told that's the way to do it doesn't mean it is the way to do it. Hmm. Um i'm questioning is doesn't may not take up much time. And um can't come up with a, a fresh idea and if it doesn't come up with a fresh idea well at least you've challenged it and you put it to the test and you know it's a good idea to, a good way of doing it um i don't think i think it's a bad way at all bad thing at all but it's not the way you were brought up in the west it's um not not what's what, what, what one should do as they say you know
0: yeah, shitting on yourself isn't good now, is it? Right.
1: Yeah. yeah. As I say, you do get into a bit of problems. Very often, the right way of doing it is is the right way because you it hurts to do it the wrong way, or you get killed, or you
0: get injured, or you end up somewhere. You know. So very often there's. Truth do the f- so do you feel like what you know we're looking for a state of harmony in our lives, and and do we really understand what harmony means? Because in some in some situations it can seem like life just totally exploded on us uh, unexpectedly and we're really challenged by things that we really didn't want to have happen. And yet they do. And then later on down the road, we look back and go, wow, if that hadn't have happened, I wouldn't know this or I wouldn't be who I am more fully. Do we kind of miss that understanding in the process of being involved in a, for lack of a better, a kerfuffle?
1: Yeah, I mean, as I've got older, we're looking back on my life. I realize that the last thing I've ever wanted to do was live in harmony. That I've always uh, gone, that have subconsciously or consciously gone out of my way to not live in harmony, to, to to do things more difficultly in a difficult way to. Travel to Russia on a motorbike, to travel to Australia on a motorbike, whatever. You know, run out of is fly. That in it.
0: harmony with your inner desires, though. I mean, this is, <laughs> you know, catch twenty-two. It's,
1: right? Yeah, it's, uh, you're doing what you want to do, but you're not doing. You're not getting an easy life from it. Living in harmony, I suppose, would
0: be living an easy life. I mean, of. Is harmony bliss, though? This is where I think we misinterpret the term "harmony" because harmony. Includes it means everything's working synergistically. Mm -hmm. It's that whole notion of, as we know, the process of chaos to order. You can't Mm -hmm. have order without first, you know, shaking things up a bit.
1: So, yeah. And chaos is a bit more fun sometimes, isn't
0: it? Absolutely.
1: Order can be a bit boring.
0: (laughs) Well, for me, it's been fun. I'm an old events guy. And, you know, in these huge events, when you got a quarter million people showing up for things, it can get pretty chaotic. However, if you set things up and you've got, you know, things in place, then it's really a good experience for all. And there's usually very few mishaps in it. Yeah. I mean, you're
1: similar age to myself. I was sort of turning 65 recently. And a lot of my friends, people I know, have taken retirement, early retirement. And I look around what they've been doing for the last five years, they've sort of they may have been running a corporation, running a company, or working in for themselves, but they've been very busy and active and maybe successful. But I've ended up digging the garden like four days a week and playing golf a couple of days, and that's about it, you know?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I sort of thought, well, there must be more to life than it didn't work for 40 years to do that. So surely,
0: and just waste away, you know? Do uh, you be... think they're looking for purpose at that point i mean they may have thought and their purpose was to lead an organization or build a company and you know do all that but did they really look at themselves lot, as to whether this a, a, was a, really fulfilling a, or not
1: i think a lot of them were fulfilled when they were doing what they were doing but they did it to such an extent whenever they've stopped doing it they've had nothing else to do and they really don't know what to do with themselves um and they've had in their mind, wouldn't well, it be great when I've got time to do something and time they don't have to go to work every day? And then the day comes, they don't go to work, they actually don't know what to do with themselves. So um, are,
0: are you saying that in that not knowing what to do with themselves, that the passion that they once had for life is kind of not there anymore? that's definitely the part of it. I mean, I'm sure you must feel yourself that, um, you're asking a question right because i <laughs> at our age right we see a lot of these guys that have been there done that been really successful and they're not happy they're not they, they just they're not fulfilled they're looking for something there's something in life that has left them empty even with have, all have, of the you, the things
1: human nature is there to always look for something you're always wanting to get something else to achieve something else to build something else and whenever you hit 65 all of a sudden, you're not doing that anymore because you're in the downward slope and you're not building your, your, well, your body's starting to fall apart, your mind's starting to go, your things are starting to not work anymore. So, um all of a sudden, you're not, you're, you're going the opposite direction. So it's a matter of having, trying to come to terms with mm-hmm. the the natural digression, if you like, yeah. without, without giving up on life, without giving up on Want, and that's what I wanted to, you know, 65 years of 63 setting off to go to Australia on a motorbike. It's the sort of thing I did when I was 21. I wanted to challenge myself to see if I could still do it mm. and get the enjoyment out of it as well, I guess. Um, and this show, well, you don't have to sit in your garden, or you, you should anybody for your reasonable health, you should be able to do what you did when you were 21 and enjoy it, you know.
0: Sure. Yeah, I, I, I do. You feel that. Or, or is it possible that there are those who have been following their passion their entire lives through the, the different career changes and things like that? They've been working on learning greater integration, greater connectivity with life and others outside of the work environment, because that, again, is a system. Right, that we've pretty much all bought into, and it's not the only system.
1: I think it probably depends on what work, what career path they followed. I know talking to people who were, say, doctors or lawyers, they had to be so involved in their life with their their professional life that they didn't probably have much time to go off and do something creative Mm -hmm. or controversial. They had to, you know, had to follow their directive and stay within the conservative linearation of what they were involved with um, and probably they were so busy keeping up with progress and being successful they didn't have time to do anything else um, I would have so, to agree
0: that's probably quite true and and yet there's still like for instance I, I'm kind of an oddball and I'm a unique and weird character in life and I'm proud of it I had a spiritual awakening at 18 I ended up questioning or i prayed to know what truth was willing to die for it if necessary and lo and behold the following week i did i left in the white light and beyond it came back and started talking to people about it and my parents immediately sent me to a psychiatrist and after a few visits the psychiatrist says you know you're not crazy you've had a spiritual awakening most people don't go through it till their mid-40s if they ever do and he didn't quite understand why so young for me. I was 18 at the time. And he said, my advice to you is just keep your mouth shut. Well, <laughs> at, at that, yeah, it did work. work. <laughs> so later, though, in my mid-40s, because I didn't understand what he meant by most people don't go through it till the mid-40s of yeah. the, the inner search, right? And then I realized, oh, empty nesters. It's when the kids are growing up. They're gone. They're off to college or whatever. And or there's a okay i've made it this far in my career what is there something more right those kinds of choices and questions and, and there's that opportunity to put it on pause kind of get quiet for a moment reflect on where you're at in life and where you would really like to be and then moving toward that and That that doesn't happen with everybody and probably more rarely than we realize or maybe it you know um hopefully it's the opposite i'm not quite sure and uh, however do you feel that that may be part of what's happening in this shift from reaching retirement age and then wondering what's next and and maybe a, it maybe there's an inability to actually articulate those kinds of, of thoughts and feelings to another Because that sounds just like yeah you made it so now i'm going to sound like i didn't right there's that resistance because you might feel like it you know you're presenting yourself as being um insecure i
1: think it's definitely it's definitely a a happening i'm not sure what the term for it is i mean when you're you're sort of going from 20s 19 to 20 whatever you have a, a coming of age which is seen as a positive thing you turn from sort of teenager to man you Get your responsibilities, you start your work or whatever. It's quite a um, important, momentous sort of change in your lifestyle. And when you're in your 40s, it's looked at quite negatively as a sort of midlife crisis. What you're talking about, a lot of people that sort of question what they're doing and should they be doing it? Are they wasting their time? They're not achieving what they wanted to achieve when they thought when they started and in their 20s, and are they running out of time to do it? And it's seen as a crisis for people, whereas actually, as you say, it's actually a should be seen as a coming to terms with where you are and right. and do yeah, they have the so? faith
0: love and trust in themselves to say well, wait a minute I'm, I, I'm liking what's something. happening yeah. what else is available and I think that's where when that question comes up they're stuck because yeah. it, it's too safe and secure to continue what they've been doing but at, red, least, at, and... least, at least they've questioned it. At least they're bringing themselves
1: to stop and say, Look at this and questioning it. Whereas other people just go straight on along the road and end up hitting 60 before they realize, I don't know, I've been doing something for the last 40 years I didn't enjoy and I've been wasting my life. You know, mm-hmm. at least you do it when you're 40, you've, you've stopped to think, Hang on, should I be changing direction? Should I be doing what I'm doing? Should I run off and buy a motorbike or whatever it is? It's, as I said, it's seen as a very negative thing for men, especially. But actually, I think it's quite a good thing for guys to do. You should just stop, check, and balance, check your balance and see if you're going in the right direction. Right. Um, and certainly when you hit 65, 60-65, most people are stopping work working around about this time. And this is a huge change of your lifestyle. Kids are away. You're stuck with your wife. You maybe haven't spoken to properly for the last 20 years. Um, your finances have changed, probably. Are not earning as much as you used to. You have nothing to do all day. You know, it's a huge. It's probably one of the biggest changes of lifestyle of the other two of the twenty and forty-year-old. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't even know what the name, what the term of it is. I call it a coming of old age.
0: story Aging out, right? Aging <laughs> never, out, yeah. they, they call the the foster kids aging out when they turn twenty-one. But uh, yeah, it's a similar thing. I. I, I I really understand what you're saying about that, and I, mean, it, I think it does no harm. To it
1: has, has to be addressed. You know, it was a change of lifestyle, a change of change of lifestyle, change of life, change of mm-hmm. life situation. See, it I, has to be addressed. And I'm outside of that. Of that. I, I
0: feel very fortunate that in you know I got remarried at, at 59, and my wife and I, we spent 24-7, it was, you know, just prior to COVID, and with COVID, we were 24-7. We were already 24-7 with each other, and we love to have conversations, and we can talk about anything and everything, and it's much different for us than others, and yet, like we were talking earlier about experiences as children, right? We grow up in environments, and we think that's normal. Well, she and I have developed this relationship that we feel is normal. And then when you were talking about, you know, you've worked for 20 or 40 years and all of a sudden you're not there anymore and you haven't talked to your wife for that long or had any meaning. Really. Well, I didn't
1: say I haven't talked to my wife for that
0: long. It was, it was well, I, I know. I, I'm using <laughs> you as, you know, a generalized. It's a metaphorical good question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's a challenge right it's like yeah. your life gets reoriented and it's almost a chance for renewal as opposed to being afraid of oh my gosh what's happening right and, and yeah. realizing that you're not where you thought you would be
1: mm-hmm. so i think definitely it's something people need to think about in a couple of terms of it and make a redirection in their lives and do what they to, to decide what they want to do. So a lot of people don't make any of those changes. They just go to the garden, go out to the garden, go out to the tool shed, and fritter their lives away, watch Netflix all day, and um, see their end. Their days end that way. I think it's much better to just catch yourself on, as we would say in Northern Ireland. Sure. And, um, and you've got go a particular. I'm sorry. to terms with where you are in life and make a decision to get the most out of the rest of your 20 or 30 what years and you hope to have
0: you know right right and speaking of coming to terms you know we haven't mentioned it and um you've been diagnosed with parkinson's did that change how you were living your life and the and the honor respect love um, nurturing that you found in your family unit? Well, I'm gonna it hasn't really had a
1: tremendous effect on me apart from the shake sometimes. So, um, mm-hmm. It's very minimal. But what it did make me realize is, well, we're not in this world forever. We're, um, we've are we got a limited length of time to enjoy ourselves and, or not. In some ways, it would be easier if you actually knew when you were going to die because you could you you could generate your good times you're spending your money to,
0: to well that, that wouldn't end, be you know? any fun now because <laughs> you know aren't we supposed to just you know grow and do and be our best yeah, exactly and find the things that enrich us and share those with others but um, certainly realizing
1: that and realizing you know first time i've ever really had a serious illness but realizing that I was like, well you know now 65 probably got hopefully 10 good years to your 75 and then things could seriously start falling off the, the shelf at that stage so let's get out and enjoy ourselves and use our faculties the best I can you know yeah, yeah. And i was able to find I me mean, when, when i was 21 i could ride a motorbike all day and party all night there's no i can ride a motor all, motorbike all day but i have to go to bed and i may as well go to bed with a coffee or a cocoa afterwards and get a good night's sleep you know right. but you can still go out and do it
0: well, the fact is, you can still get up and have some fun on the bike, right? Yeah. And that, even just a of things. What could you recommend or, or offer as insightful advice to those that are coming up? You know, our audience is quite surprisingly mostly under 35. What kind of advice could you give that would? offer something, a a positive look toward the future or or a look toward the future with a little more insight and understanding?
1: Um, I think it's important to keep questioning and keep challenging and keep uh, motivating yourself um, and keep learning new things. Um, Keep your mind active for learning new things and keep challenging yourself physically and mentally to keep... um, as I say, the, the uh, never being—what was the word you used—things um, never being satisfied with what you have. I suppose is why would be my motto, rather than lying back and taking it, always be out there questioning it, rather than accepting the state of school. Not my motto, but my advice to most people. Um, Go with, rather than go with the flow, go with the, as I say, go the wrong way. I want of a better word. And for another, another plug my book. Another plug for my book. Yeah, going and, the wrong may be, way may be your flow. Yeah. Well, it's worked right. for me. I realized over the, over the years and I've done okay. I've, financially, I've run several businesses
0: and come out of it okay. you um, certainly had a rich life. I mean I think with your travels and and, uh, what you've done in the business community, you know, not many people can have that kind of life. You've been very blessed, and and it was because you made a choice to do so. Well, anybody can have that sort of life. I mean, if you want to ride a motorbike around the world, the
1: first thing you do is point the motorbike, point point the front wheel away from the house, and start riding. You don't anybody can do that. I don't. You don't have to be special. You don't have to be gifted. You don't have to be smart. You just have to get off your ass and do it, you know? Perfect (laughs)
0: statement. Anything is possible. You just got to get off your ass and do it. Exactly. (laughs) All right. Chris, this has been a really enjoyable conversation, and I appreciate your time, your energy, your wisdom, and, well, I'm a bit envious of your travels, i got to admit. And thank you for sharing them with us. It's been a pleasure. Very good. And namaste and in lock catch and thanks for sticking with us for this episode of one world in the new world. I'm Zen Benefield your host and I will see you next time.